Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Welcome to another Q&A episode of our Journey Church Podcast. The mission of Journey Church is to honor God and make disciples. We believe that disciples are converted souls who learn about, love like, and live for Jesus Christ. Our Q&A episodes are designed to help all of us learn more about Jesus by looking deeper into his word. Uh, and our ser- series right now is connected to our current sermon series, which is on the atonement. So I'm here. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I'm here with Pastor Jim and Pastor Tyler. And we're going to talk a little bit about the atonement. Last Sunday, we talked about the Red Sea crossing. But before we get into that, I, I do want to ask sort of a general question. Our Our sermon series is pictures of the atonement, and we are looking at um, typology in the Old Testament of the atonement. The question is, what is typology and why does it matter? And and my short brief answer is um, really that it belongs to a group of synonyms, uh, types, uh, foreshadowings, prophecies, pictures, illustrations of things yet to come. But there is a, a more technical uh, definition to that. And so I'm, I'm tossing this over to Tyler and back to you, Sarah. Uh, yeah, I, I think typology, uh, one of the things you're looking for is a repeated pattern in the Old Testament, uh, which is leading up and foreshadowing the coming of Christ and the work of Christ. Uh, and one of the keys in terms of uh, thinking about typology is there's not just one. I've heard D.A. Carson say before that there's... There's not just one... Typology. Uh, type- so there's not just one way in which uh, in which the Old Testament points towards Jesus. Okay. So generally, when people think about typology, there's small instances of it, uh, but then there's, the, there's 22 or so really big types that run from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And you can actually interpret the entire biblical narrative through the lens of that type. So uh, the Exodus, including Passover and the Red Sea crossing, would be one of those that you see uh, iterations of it that escalate from Genesis all the way to, uh, to the book of Revelation. So, for example, the culmination of the Red Sea crossing is what I tried to draw out in our benediction on Sunday, where you have no sea in the end in the picture mm-hmm. of uh, in the picture of heaven, and the purpose of that is the sea is constantly this thing that uh, symbolizes chaos and judgment, death, and death, foreboding. Yeah, it's this big ominous thing in the Jewish worldview, and as you go through there, are these this uh, retelling of the story of the Exodus that takes place throughout the Bible, getting bigger and bigger each time. And then at the culmination, the end of the Bible, there's no more sea. There's Mm -hmm. nothing standing between you and God anymore, you and the promised land anymore. There's no more judgment, no more foreboding, no more chaos. It's all, that has all been done away with. And now God dwells with his people. And for some reason, or well, the reason why it points out the one thing it uses to describe there's mountains, there's all these other natural elements, but there's no sea. Okay, I have three quick follow-up questions. The first is, can there be a type? So I, I think I heard you said a type is a, a picture or a pattern that um, 
maybe is in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. Can there be a type in the Bible that does not point to Jesus? Are there types that point to other things? Well, there are anti-types that uh, that would still... Well, so the short answer is no. All the types are going to be somehow related to Jesus. That being said, there are anti-types that... Uh, Jesus doesn't fulfill, but he contrasts with. So the classic example of that would be uh, the story of Jonah. So uh, Jonah on the boat gets cast into the ocean, uh, swallowed by the giant fish, vomited mm -hmm. out in Nineveh, mm -hmm. and then he's like, God's really upset with you. This whole place is going to burn. Almost everything in Jonah 1 through 4 is contrasted in the life of Jesus. To the extent that Mark 4, where Jesus is asleep on a boat, is actually uh, when you translate in the what's the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, the story of Jonah, Jonah chapter one, I think is when he's on the boat, and Mark chapter four are almost parallel in their structure and their exact word choice. Hmm. And so it seems that Mark is cribbing the Septuagint's version or the Septuagint's telling of the story of Jonah when he crafts that story to show how Jesus and Jonah are different. Okay, so that, that perfectly goes to my next question, which is, um, are, are, all the, are all the patterns that we might see when we read the Bible, are they all there on purpose? Or are we, how do we know if I'm reading into them? How do I know? I'm just thinking about sitting in my high school English class and my teacher telling me, actually, this book isn't about these two characters. It's about this thing. And we all went, how do you see that? We don't see that. So, right. Right. How do we and, know and, and so that's a great, that's a great, uh, critical thinking skill as well. And the reality is, uh, two ways to read the Bible. Exegesis is what is there, what is clearly there and eisegesis, which is I'm going to read what I want to see back into that text. So the way we remember that is I see Jesus because we don't always see Jesus. And that's how we start. Um, heresies even, they, they result in cults when we eisegete the text. But when um, they're clearly in there, you see them, well, the, the pattern, if I could use the word again, mm -hmm. um, the pattern a lot of times is a New Testament writer will actually draw it out and re-mention it in the New Testament. And uh, the Old Testament, Old Covenant Jews wouldn't know it until Jesus came and died and rose again. And the New Testament writer actually will, will draw that out. We have an example from this Sunday, Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt, I called my son, but that's Israel. But then it's Matthew who says, so that it might be said about him. Yeah. Out, of Jesus, I, Jesus, out of Egypt, I called my son, yeah. re referring it to Jesus. That was a pattern. And so we know, we know. And I'm not even saying right now that that's the only pattern or the only types that we can see in the Old Testament. I just think that they're clear. They're not obscure. They're not uh, twisting of scripture. And so you have to... Um, they, maybe yeah. you could say they resonate with the whole, yeah, the, uh, all the big ideas of yeah. scripture. So they're not, they're not, you don't get out of a pattern, a new idea that doesn't make sense with any of the other ideas of scripture. Well, one of the ways to think about it would be they tell the same story uh, mm -hmm. from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So you, typology isn't something that's specific to scripture. It's used, it's just a form, it's a literary device. So you see this kind of thing. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest at this. You see when Lewis starts his book, 
the first page of almost every single C.S. Lewis fiction book is the most important interpretive thing uh, in the entire book. You read the rest of the book through the first page. So, for example... Oh, like Eustace okay. Scrub, who has a terrible name. Oh, yeah. No, that's actually one of my favorite examples. Because you know what it actually says about him? I have this line memorized because I used to teach this. Uh, uh, there once was a boy named Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that tells you everything you need. And then the, the rest of the book is about his character transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of the ways to tell the story, that's Voyage of the Dawn Treader. One of the ways to tell the entire story of Voyage of the Dawn Treader quickly is to edit out all of this other stuff and just talk about who used to scrub as at the beginning, who he is in the middle, and who he is at the end. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing's true of typology. The big types are these things in scripture where we can tell this, the biblical storyline quickly by focusing on the development of particular themes. Okay. Um, my last question is, uh, uh, and then we'll move on from typology, um, why does this matter? <laughs> Which I think is a good question to ask. <laughs> Either way, uh -huh. I, I've got my answer, but you go. go well, my, mine's pedestrian. It's, it's uh, simple in that God wants us to know that, that this is his story. It's every, it was a little bit like last week's podcast. Like every great story follows mm -hmm. these patterns. Mm -hmm. And every great novelist, they drop in hints very early on, like what you're just talking mm -hmm. about. So many other wor works of literature, that, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. And we're all following God's pattern. He wants to get our attention and he does it in so many ways. What, another way, like repetition. I think it was Calvin that said, if you can make three, three scriptures agree, you have a doctrine. <laughs> uh, well, the, the types and patterns are also, they're repeated themes that in with typology, they amplify, they get bigger and brighter and they go from black and white to technicolor. Mm -hmm. And God, uh, like he doesn't want us to miss it. Mm -hmm. So that's my answer. You want to add? Sure. I, I mean, I would say one of the reasons why they matter is because uh, the entire Bible is about who God is and what he's trying to do uh, in order to reform the relationship between himself and his fallen creation, primarily humanity. And the types, because God is so big, so grandiose, and because uh, the problem of sin is so complex, various types address and highlight different aspects of that. So very much in the same way that we are framing this series on the atonement as uh, sort of like rotating a diamond and looking at mm -hmm. it, looking at its facets, its faces, uh, as little images and just trying to get a little, a little better picture of what the atonement is by looking at how these Old Testament things point towards Christ, the same thing's true with all of those types. They Using them all, they fill out this bigger image. I also think as well it can be important because we as individuals have different personalities and different ways in which God interacts with us, which then having uh, 20 or so large meta-narratives that all, or large narratives that fit within the meta-narrative of Scripture so that you can tell that whole story of what God is doing there are different things that are going to stand out and speak to each one of us such that God, uh, by giving us all an objective word, can still actually subjectively meet each one of us where we're at in terms of telling the same objective, true historical story of God and his people in a diff slightly different way, slightly mm -hmm. different nuance. Mm -hmm. And I think it adds to 
um, the, the richness, there's a, there's a richness and creativity, um, that God is glorified in the diversity. And it's proof that Christianity isn't an American religion. Mm -hmm. It isn't a post-industrial religion. It isn't, um, particular to a place or a culture or people. It is. And, and think about the grand unified theme in that you got 66 books, at least 40 different authors over 1600 years of time span. The authors themselves are as different as can be mm -hmm. from uh, naked eccentric prophets to kings in, in palaces, uh, three different languages, four different continents, and the same storyline keeps popping up mm -hmm. and growing in beauty and grandeur throughout the whole thing. You, I, I mean, you could go on, you begin in a garden, you end in a city, there's a tree, there's a river, there's uh, just all these beautiful pictures from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. Well, let's talk about um, some typology of from our sermon series and go back a little bit to last week. We had we had a focus on the Red Sea crossing. So can you talk a little bit, Jim, about um, the typology of water crossings and, and how that's significant? Yeah, and let's do this in two parts. So okay. you might have to re-answer the question and Tyler, you jump in here. But um, I was I was I looked up at the clock and like, boom, I'm out of time and I'm getting to my mm -hmm. favorite point. And I uh, said, I'll, we'll drop it to the podcast. Here we go. <laughs> So, uh, but I couldn't leave out Isaiah 43 where, where the prophet Isaiah to the Babylonian captivity, they're getting ready to go back on another exodus and he's reaching back with some of these same word pictures and really interpreting backwards. Um, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. They walk through fire. But then he explains, uh, something that happened in the past. In, in Isaiah 43, 3, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave, and ESV is give. Um, I mentioned that in the sermon. Um, I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba, in exchange for you. This is another story. I think that's Sennacherib um, coming to invade them another time. Um, but then verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I, and I love you. I give men in return for you. That's the atonement. There's a trade, an exchange people in exchange for your life. And one of the things I did not get to is to demonstrate that this is how Moses understood the crossing in chapter 15 of Exodus. It's called the Song of Moses. And specifically in Exodus 15, 13, he says much the same thing. You have led in your steadfast love, kesed in the, in the Hebrew, loyal, faithful, loving kindness. It's a tender, even emotive kind of love. Um, you have led in your kased the people whom you have redeemed. Uh, there's the atonement. Uh, that's It's a synonym that we've already looked at. But then listen to this. And it really explains the relationship between Passover and Red Sea Crossing. You have redeemed, and then you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So after the redemption, there's guiding into his holy abode. And so that's immediately following that the song of Moses, where he's saying that. And so what we see here is there's a more complete picture of the spiritual life of faith. And so if I reach back to, to Passover and they leave at night through the doorposts covered in the blood of the lamb, out into a new adventure 
they're immediately tested with, with more uh, kinds of tests of faith. They're at a crisis point and there's a deliverance through, through baptism, through the Red Sea. And um, we have a picture of, of the life of faith, salvation, and even baptism and resurrection into a new chapter of life. I would say that this, this approximates Jesus saying that there is both uh, a narrow door and a narrow path that, or a narrow gate, should I say. And it's both the narrow gate and the narrow path that leads to life. And, and I would say that the narrow uh, gate would be the redemption and the narrow path is this is, is God guiding us through these other tests of faith into, into, through a, a, a death, burial, and resurrection in Christ, a picture of, the, of baptism. And when, when Moses says, to your holy abode, they, they uh, enter a brand new chapter of, of life. And so I would say this. The Passover was an atonement from death. And according to Isaiah and Moses, the Red Sea crossing was an atonement into life. Um, our lives are spared through the blood of the Lamb if we have believed. And if we have believed, now for the rest of our lives, the Lamb goes with us, before us, and behind us. And we discover that the Lamb is not just a Lamb. Not just the Passover lamb, but he's also the good shepherd who gives us new life and guides us into life. So he's both the lamb and the good shepherd. That reminds me of in Hebrews that he is both the sacrifice and the high priest. Yeah. He is both, right? He is all, there's no part of it that he isn't doing and we have to do, as I guess is that echo. Yeah. And um, there's, I think you mentioned it, there's, uh, connections to baptism there. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about how does that connect to baptism? Romans 6.3 Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And in back in the typology in the picture, there's, and, and I'm kind of going, going forward here, um, there's Egyptians who pay their own tab and they die in a watery grave. And there's the nation of Israel, the Jews that go free, not because they're better, but because God chose to set his hesed, love upon them and pay the tab for them. And so we've got this picture of, of Jesus paying the tab, Jesus going through the, the watery uh, grave of the cross and the tomb. Uh, but then to borrow Lewis, the deeper magic. <laughs> he rises again on the third day, victorious, changed and transformed, and then ascends into glory, the true and everlasting promised land. How does the, do, do you have more, anything else, any other connections to the, the water crossing? Yeah, the, the pattern shows up again and again and again in the scriptures. And you want to say something here? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think one of the things uh, we mentioned a couple of times, but one of the markers of typology is escalation. Oh, yeah. So you can look through uh, one of the reasons Wait, why... Wait, can you say really quick, yeah. what do you mean by escalation? Uh, so it gets bigger and clearer each time it takes place. Uh, the other, by the way, markers, I had to look them up in my typology textbook because... <laughs> I only remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but there's a historical connection. Mm-hmm. There is a connection to the covenant. Uh, and then it has to, um, it has to correspond with, uh, an increasing movement of redemptive history. So those are the mm-hmm. other, so there's four yeah. total. Those are the other three. Uh, so in terms of water crossings, uh, the first one I would say, and this is where sometimes, uh, sometimes because of the escalation, the beginning of the typology is not always easy to see because it's in the background. And then what the author does is bring it increasingly into the foreground. So for example, Adam and Eve sin, they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So we know that they leave to the east of the garden. Now that being said, the garden when it's described is actually described as being bracketed in by three different rivers. So their uh, exile from the garden would have included a river crossing. Mm-hmm. They had to cross a river in order to be kicked out. Of, of Eden. Of Eden. Mm-hmm. And then you get, uh, if the, and one of the reasons why that's important is the waters of the crossing are associated with judgment. Mm-hmm. So they have to cross these waters that's associated with judgment. The next place I think. And, and yeah. the waters are chaos, uh, darkness, like thinking about mm-hmm. Genesis one. Yeah. The waters are. Uh, the deep, mm-hmm. yep. right? It's not the, a positive place. The easiest way I think to think about it is waters to the Jewish people are outer space to us. Okay. Like they're scary and unknown, which by the way is really how we should think about the waters today. Cause my son's always watching these nature videos where I'm like, Oh my gosh, that thing exists. It's just <laughs> like there's creepy creatures really far down in the ocean that we didn't know existed. Um, I'm, I'm burning to take a shot at the second okay. water crossing. What, what Jacob at the Jabbok. Noah. Noah. Okay. Oh. Okay. But I got a good one. Yeah. I got a good okay, one. You're, you're totally correct. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you, you just, you well, several of them in the book of Genesis. And one of the key things to think about too, with typology, especially when it starts early is the Pentateuch is all written by one person. Oh yeah. So Moses is using the, it's not just like accidental in terms of, uh, God via the Holy spirit kind of imported this in and Moses didn't know. There's pretty good signs that Moses is intentionally structuring this text in order that we are supposed to, as we read it again and again and again, and we said this last week in the podcast, but the key to understanding typology is just reading your Bible a lot. <laughs> so Moses wasn't wasn't great at oral speech, but he was a great writer. He was a fan. And, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, Jacob at the Jabbok, he wrestles with God after a life of scheming. Mm-hmm. And being Jacob, the heel grabber mm-hmm. and the Lord shows up and, and, you know, whoops on them and they struggle all night. What was that? Mm-hmm. And in the morning, the Lord goes, I'm done and pops his hip out of socket. Uh, Jacob crosses the Jabbok now renamed as Israel mm-hmm. and walks with a limp mm-hmm. into newness of life. So mm-hmm. that's definitely mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Red Sea crossing is a biggie mm-hmm. that we're basing this off of. And then on Sunday, you mentioned the bookend to that, which is Joshua. Yeah. And, and it's, Jordan. it's crossing the Jordan into the promised land and then celebrating Passover. So it's reversed. I'm not mm-hmm. going to make much of that, mm-hmm. but it happens exactly at the same time as the Passover. Um, and then going forward, you know, I've already cited, um, there would be more crossings coming out of the Babylonian captivity, mm-hmm. but then into the life of Jesus after a life of obscurity as Joseph's son and a carpenter, um, whether it was that was wood or stone or whatever he was working with, he is baptized at in the Jordan. 
the Lamb of God statement by John the Baptist. He's baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? There's We, we could do many sermons and podcasts on that. But then the Spirit immediately leads him out in the wilderness for exactly 40 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he enters a brand new chapter of his life in ministry for three and a half years. And all of this, I would say, was a foreshadowing and type of the final water crossing which is the cross and the tomb and the resurrection and ascension. Mm-hmm. So uh, beautiful pictures of. Is that the, is that the final, final one? Or is there one more final one, which is in revelation? Like that's the final one of Jesus's life, but then it points forward or that's the final one that's already happened, I guess maybe. And then. So that's so, the final, but then the fulfill, and... you wouldn't call it a type if it's mm-hmm. the end, right? It's the fulfillment. Right. So Jesus fulfills it. And one of the reasons we know it's the final is that's where the, there's no sea, there's nothing else to cross mm-hmm. in, in the book of Revelation. Yeah. So that's yeah. the, the pointing forward as the bows put on that particular type. Mm. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Lots of water all over the place. Um, what about, so that's the type, type, we're talking about typology, patterns, pictures, escalating themes. Mm-hmm repetition so we talked about water crossing um how else do we see types of jesus maybe think about we just spent two weeks in exodus so we did the passover and then we did the red sea kind of back to back how does that um how is that typological of jesus looking forward to him both of those events together or just any part of them i mean so with the Passover, you have, and, and Jim drew this out really well in his sermon, you have them, uh, they have to walk under the blood of the lamb is how the the evening, which, or the, the story of them crossing the Red Sea, if you have the Passover is one story and then you have that as the next story, that story begins with them passing under the blood of the lamb. In a sense, you could say it this way. Uh, if you were on the other side of the Red Sea and you put a microphone in somebody's face and you said, like, if we went back in time as like a, a 21st century news crew and we were like, what just happened? And you mm-hmm. put the microphone in their face and got the camera pointed at them. This Jewish person is going to go, well, I, I passed under the blood of the lamb that spared my life when I deserved judgment and death and then fled from the land of slavery, was brought out of the land of slavery by God's mighty hand, and then I passed through the seas of judgment, and now I'm safe, headed towards the promised land. Which Mm -hmm. if you were to ask a new Christian how they were saved, they would explain that exact same story without the symbolism. Mm -hmm. So they would Mm -hmm. say, well, Jesus died for me, passed under the blood of the Lamb, and then I still live, and because of that, I have exited the slavery to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Mm -hmm. Though my enemies still very much haunt me, Pharaoh's army chasing them. But I know, regardless of what happens to me, I pass through the seas of judgment and I I will arrive at the shores of the promised land. Yep. And Jesus would say that uh, to his disciples in John 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Mm -hmm. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Mm -hmm. For you, yes. you could add, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
He's with us. He's gone before us. He is standing behind us Mm -hmm. like the fiery cloud. He is within us. He is under us. His hand is upon us. His favor is toward us. He's no longer angry at our sin. He's paid the the penalty. Hmm. So bottom line from the sermon, the atonement means that God will always be with us and for us. If we've walked under the blood of the Lamb, He's with us. He's for us. Can I read a little bit from, this is my favorite psalm, in case anybody wanted to know. Um, (laughs) It's Psalm 18, and I think I like it because it's so, um, it's very dramatic and paints this picture. And I think David, um, uh, David, you see it first with David in in one of the historical books, I think somewhere in Samuel. But he says, um, he, he says, the, this is 18, starting in verse four. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. And then there's this whole passage where it describes him parting the clouds. And he's got like his, his nostrils are full of smoke and he's got lightning and thunder and he comes down out of the clouds at, with hailstones and all sorts of craziness. The Lord thundered in his heavens um, and he comes down and um, lays bare the foundation of the world. And then it says, he sent from on high and took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted with me. It, it, he delighted in me. So I just think like mm. that that's such a picture of yep. what you're d- describing. Yep. And even think about David's life and how he wrote that, you know, why he wrote that. And then our lives, and you can see that pattern going through. So then I have, my last question is, well, that's true for me, but what about those dead Egyptians? Because mm. it doesn't yeah. seem like this says, this says he rescued me because he delighted me. And you quoted Isaiah 43, which says, because you are precious to me and honored and I love you. I'm exchanging these other people for you. Why doesn't he love the Egyptians? And the short answer is God absolutely loved and continues to love the Egyptians. Um, Tyler, you you might have been the first one to mention <clears throat> Exodus 12, mm-hmm. 38. What does a mixed multitude mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the concept there is it's mixed in terms of the ethnicity. Mm. And I, that's actually what's in the Hebrew language there, which means that when the people of Israel, Exodus 12, 38, is the people of Israel leaving after the Passover, Pharaoh has said, all right, get out. And they start leaving. And a bunch of non-Jewish people go with them, i.e. a bunch of Egyptians are going with them. Yeah, so some Egyptians Mm -hmm. made the jump into the people of God Mm -hmm. at that event. Mm -hmm. Because already the people of God is not, and even before then, Mm -hmm. the people of God is not a a blood, is not physical blood um, uh, ethnicity. There was a typology going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah, that... That it's it's not your mama and your papa, mm-hmm. but it's the God that you trust. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that mixed multitude, and and so there were individuals, and and we did talk about this um, on Sunday. 
Moses or Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart. And there, he really did represent the mood of the culture. So there were many in Egypt that um, it's like, does music imitate art or or that whole you know? Mm-hmm. It, does it imitate real life or does mm-hmm. it lead and influence real life? And the answer is yes. And and our leadership does much the same. We elected that guy. Now they didn't have that elected guy, but but there there was a a uh, a cultural uh, commander leader in Pharaoh. He was representing much, and and many of the people looked to Pharaoh to take their cues. And those are the ones that suffered the most, but there were others that, that jumped ship and fled unto the people of God in that interesting. Um, 40 years later, God commanded the Jews that were, that were getting ready to exit the wilderness and go into the promised land in Deuteronomy 23, seven, you shall not abhor an Edomite for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian because you were a sojourner in his land. So God was calling for a forgiveness. Don't hold these, these ethnic hatred kinds of things. He was telling him, don't do that. Um, and then the final thing I'll say there, not only was there a mixed multitude, not only did God say, don't abhor them. I don't hate them. Don't hate them. But God will redeem Egypt one day. And so how do you take this? I'll, I'll give you the scripture in a moment, but there will be a generation and there will be a people that were ethnically Egyptian, perhaps nationally Egyptian. The Lord says from every nation, tribe and tongue surrounding his throne. But this is what it says in Isaiah 19, 24 through 25. In that day, Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed saying, So this is what God's going to say one day. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So God loved and loves the Egyptians. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But I'll say this, that unless we respond to his salvation, we like those Egyptians will also perish. We will pay our own tab. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So respond to the offer of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Um, I just wanted to kind of wrap that up by pointing to Hebrews. And he's talking about the he's talking about the people of Israel a little bit later in their story as they're wandering the wilderness because they didn't they didn't go in um when Caleb and Joshua said let's go they didn't go um but he says uh this is Hebrews chapter 3 um uh today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion and then later he says take care this is verse 12 take care brothers Um, lest there be in any of you an evil or unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened. 
Isn't that, that's mm, like such yep. a good yep. directive that we would tell each other every day that we would sing songs and retell the stories and Deuteronomy 6 mm-hmm. to explain it to your children um, every day. Don't harden your heart. He will get you through. Come under the blood of the lamb. Go through the sea. He's got it. And he's with you. Yes. And he's with you. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. And um, we'll uh, have another Q&A episode coming up. We have uh, just two more weeks in our atonement series. Um, next week, Palm Sunday, we'll be looking at what, Tyler? The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, which is Leviticus 16. 16. So take some time and read everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. And then um, we'll wrap up on Easter Sunday. We're going to look at um, the serpent on the pole, the raised serpent, um, and how that points to um, Christ's death and resurrection for us. So um, God bless, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.